0: But let's open up in prayer. and Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your anointing that has come to destroy the yokes, Father, and that your word is here to be the light to our path and the light of our life, Father, that we can use the truth in the word of God to direct our path so that we can be where you want us to be, that we can do what you want us to do and be the person that you want us to be, Father God. And we thank you for your leadership and your anointing this morning and the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We've been, the last few times I've been up here, been kind of moving along uh, an identifiable theme of self-examination. I've been, been mentioning, mentioning that frequently for the times that I've been up here. Um, And it's a vital thing for believers to do that. Um, It's vital for anybody to do that, really, because that's how you become a better person is actually sitting down with yourself and looking at yourself. But for believers, it's particularly important because the Word of God directs us to do a lot of things and uphold a lot of things, and you have to make sure you're doing and upholding what the Word of God says you're supposed to be. And the only way to do that is to take a critical eye to yourself Um, because we're not supposed to be pointing fingers at anybody else, um, but we are supposed to be paying attention to what we're doing. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we have a very effective partner in making sure that we're holding to what he wants us to. Um, But we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to be willing to sit down and look at ourselves, because a lot of people don't. A lot of people fill their ears with constant noise and put things in front of their eyes for the express purpose of never having to be alone with themselves, um, which is a very unfortunate thing uh, because it's, it's important. Uh, People are like, well, I'm, I'm way too hard on myself. I don't think it's possible to be hard enough on yourself um, as long as it goes with the understanding that you can improve. I mean, you're not, as a believer, we're not stuck where we are. That's, that's the whole hope of Jesus is that no matter how bad you think you may be, you're not stuck there. There's, a, there's an escape path. There's a way out. Um, you, but the first, the first thing to solving the problem is identifying the problem. Um, that's the first step to recovery is saying, hey, uh, I've got an issue. <laughs> I've got an issue that needs to be dealt with over here. Otherwise, it just keeps going and going and going and and goes unidentified. And the Word of God is very clear in multiple areas. Um, And I just grabbed a few examples. There's many more in the Word of God that talks about some of our responsibilities to keep an eye on ourselves. Um, So in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul's talking to them here. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, do, not, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are, indeed, you are disqualified. He says right up, right up top, he says examine yourselves to whether or not you are in the faith. And he's talking about, be honest with yourselves about whether you're accepting Jesus or not, right up front. And that's the first, That's I mean, obviously that's the first step is understanding that you're saved. And he goes, there's other talking about that the, the Holy Spirit is on the inside bearing witness with you that you are indeed saved. But he's saying, hey, that's the first hurdle is you got to make sure you know that you're saved. Yeah. And the only person that can do that is you. And it be, you need to do that because you've got to be sure that you are. Because one of the reasons why he's talking to them is because they're getting whatever you want to call it, condemned or the enemy is basically attacking them and saying, you're a worthless group of hoo-hahs and you're not saved, you know? Yeah. Well, if you are and you've tested and examined yourself, that's not going to face you. You're going to look at that and go, get out of here with that junk. That's a lie, and I know it's a lie. But that takes us having gone through that process and realized this is, this is done. This, is not, this question is over. This, this no longer needs to be asked. It's been answered, <laughs> that I am saved. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Paul again here, talking to Timothy, he's talking about studying to show yourself approved. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Who's presenting who? You're presenting yourself. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Who's doing that? I do that. I present myself by going and being approved a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. And you jump down to verse 20 20 in this same chapter, verse 20 and 21. He says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses who? Cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. Who's doing the cleansing? I do do the cleansing of myself. I am responsible for that. A lot of believers get themselves in hot water because they push the responsibilities they are supposed to have onto someone else. Well, I go to a church, my pastor's supposed to take care of me. No. It's not your pastor's job to follow you around with a dustpan and a broom and say, oh, you made a mess over here. Oh, you made a mess over there. That's not, that's not their position. That's not their job. And we shouldn't, to be fair to ourselves and put ourselves in the best position, we shouldn't expect them to do that. Because if I'm expecting them to do that, I'm not taking on any of the responsibility that goes with doing that for myself if I expect Pastor Morgan to fix my car every time it breaks down instead of doing it myself I'm gonna have a problem if my car breaks down cuz he ain't coming yeah, because he is given no indication that he agreed to do that it would be one thing if Pastor Morgan said hey Tim if your car ever breaks down I got you but he didn't say that so if I expect that to happen I have set myself up for failure and that's what a lot of believers do in these situations they expect someone else to do the work that they're supposed to be doing and it's not gonna happen whether whether you think that person is God or anybody else in your life it holds true you are the one it says anyone cleanses himself I am responsible to do that now God can help he's our partner he works with us he doesn't work for us right we understand the difference We've all worked with partners and then had somebody work for us, right? The guy you call to your house to fix something at your house is working for you. He's not working with you. He doesn't expect you to get out there and fix the air conditioner with him. You called him to do the job. He came to do the job. But if you're on a job working with a partner and he says, hey, this thing's 400 pounds. I need you on the other side helping me. And you stand there and say, sorry, well, that's not going to go very well. That you're supposed to be working with. And that's, that's the first thing we need to understand as believers is we have a responsibility ourselves to do many things for us, for me. And not, it's not a selfish thing. It's like, well, i got to worry about myself. No, it's you're, you're putting yourself in position to be the best, what it says here, the best vessel possible for the use of the master. That's the whole design behind it. Is I want to get better so that the master can better use me that should be the goal and if we've read our Bible we know through that process of doing all of that the rest of the stuff that the world looks for comes to us if I'm paying attention to what God wants the rest of it comes and I don't need to worry about the rest of it Jesus told us that he said seek first the kingdom And his right way of doing things, and all of these things, and these things that he mentioned were all of the stuff that the world seeks after, all of these things will be added unto you. What does that mean? I shouldn't be seeking those things. I should be seeking what God wants me to do, and he'll bring all of that stuff behind. But I've got to maintain that kind of examination to look at myself and say, hey, I've, I've missed the boat on this thing over here. I need to make some adjustments. I need to make some corrections. This thing's not going right over here. I need to address that. Again, not by yourself. You're working with the Holy Spirit, but understand we have a role to play. We have to be involved. I can't sit down and have, it would be nice to work this way, but it doesn't. I can't just sit down and all of the, the magic stuff, like... Um, the old Fantasia movie with Mickey Mouse as the wizard. The stuff's not floating around cleaning the place for you as you sit there. That's not how it works. you got to pick up the broom and start a-sweeping. Yeah, so it's you. <laughs> you have to be involved in that. And there are a ton more examples of that in the Word of God. I just grabbed a few out to show that we have to be involved in the process. And what I want to specifically get into today is... Talking about our attitudes, <laughs> because our attitudes have a lot to do with our outcomes. I know that's that's a that's a bread box saying. Your attitude determines your outcome, and there's a bunch of ones like that, but it is true. And it's clearly it's clear in the Word of God when you look at it. So go to uh, go to James chapter one, and we're going to read verses two to four, because we all we all know we've seen living our lives, that, people that have horrible attitudes have horrible outcomes. And it doesn't ever get better unless the attitude improves. We've all seen, maybe it was us. <laughs> I've, I've been there, uh, but, but we, we all know people that that's the case. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't really particularly like the word perfect there. I like the word mature. I like that one better. But that's, that's you know, it gets the point across. Count it all joy when encountering trouble. So, and I know Pastor Bob has taught on this a number of times that, you know, you take all the variables and you add them all up and it comes to joy. But it clearly says right there, it says that you're supposed to have joy in various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and that your patience when it has its perfect work will make you mature, complete, lacking in nothing. That's why you're supposed to have joy. Because you understand that when you walk into this problem... That out of the end is success. Victory is out of the other side of this. That's why there's joy there, because it doesn't notice it doesn't say, but if it's it's this kind of problem, you can have joy because all of those other problems may be too big and you might not make it. No, it doesn't say that. It says count it all joy when you fall into various, varied, all kinds of different trials. Doesn't matter what kind it is, when you come into it, it's joy because you are supposed to know that at the other side of that is your victory. Well, what is that? That's attitude. That's keeping your attitude adjusted correctly. And that takes examination. Because how how many of you have gone into a situation with a good attitude, but after a few days, the attitude's not so good anymore, and you're wondering, what the heck is going on? and all of a sudden things start souring and not being well what happened we lost we lost that sight that goes to the end and sees hey victory victory if i maintain this victory that's that's where the joy comes from i mean how could you be angry about something if you knew going in i win yeah. i mean if you knew going into any kind of competition you knew before it even started you saw it coming and said, this is a win. How could you not have a good attitude? But there are lots of people that don't. <laughs> there are lots of people that don't. Lots of believers that don't. We've all had days where we, go, we went into it looking towards the end of the day. Something We knew something good was happening at the end of the day. We were going out to dinner with someone we love, a friend. We were going to see a um, good movie we've been looking forward to, going to see a concert. Whatever, going on vacation's a big one. People love one the last day before vacation. Well, what, what happens in that day? Nothing, nothing, can, nothing can bring you down during that day. Why? Because I, I know what's coming at the end of that day. You, can, you couldn't do anything to make me have a bad attitude today. It's impossible. Well, that's the way we're supposed to, as believers, walk into trouble. And I know it's not easy, and you look certifiable when you do it, but the whole point is is that we should be able to see to the end and say I I win this one so I don't have anything to have a bad attitude about I win this one hmm. but we have to we have to be able to sit down if we see our attitudes start changing and examine and, and see the issue because for us as believers it's usually an issue of faith and trust in God. Because if your attitude starts changing, that means your understanding of the outcome has started to change. You've started to doubt the outcome of this thing. Because if it's still victory, what do you have to be sour about? You don't, if you're winning, you don't have, you don't, it's a very rare thing if you're watching sports games, the guys that are winning don't usually have an attitude problem. It's usually the reverse, right? The guys who are getting whomped are the ones that are getting all sour and getting all angry and puffy. It's not the guys that are winning that have the problem. Well, what does that say about us? If We're starting to get an attitude about this situation. That means somewhere inside me something has changed from I knew this was going to be a win to now it's not so sure anymore, and this might not be a win. I might be losing this one. Well, why? What, what changed? Because God didn't change. The Word didn't change. So something in us has to have changed. So we have to sit down with ourselves and go, look, Tim, what happened? We were high on the horse a few days ago, and now all of a sudden I got this stinking attitude about what's happening in my life. What's going on? And it usually has to do with my thoughts and my attitude. Hmm. Because that's how God operates. We know that, right? God sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. And he wants us to operate like he operates. He sees the end from the beginning. He talks about in Jeremiah that he, he has a plan for us, that he has a future and a hope in some Some translations switch future and hope for an expected end. Some people are like, oh, I don't like that. It sounds sounds final. No, to me, expected end conveys the right idea that you are supposed to be expecting an outcome when you enter into a thing. This is not open-ended. There's no if here. I win. I win this. Because if there's an if, that's not what the Word says. The Word doesn't say if. When it comes to outcomes, it says you're healed. It doesn't say if. No, no. It says you're healed. It doesn't say, well, Jesus Jesus bore your stripes, but. No, there's no but. There's no conditions. If we hold to it, we win. The if is if I do my job. That's the only if. Because the word doesn't fail. The word's not going to fall. So if I want to succeed, I need to stick with what the Word of God says, and I need to keep my attitude in line with what the Word of God says, and beat back all that other trash. It's because you know you you and I have been through enough stuff that we know what the enemy's game by now. He always comes to try and discourage and talk fear and talk doubt and well, this time it's not going to be like the last fifty times God's come through for you. Well, that's just a dumb statement on, on his face. But he's betting that he can convince you this time. He doesn't ever stop trying. So we should be ready for that. Like we said, if, if instead of confidence and joy, we're filled with annoyance and fear, it means that the outcome isn't as sure as we thought it was, which is a problem on our part. That's not God. God didn't, God, God didn't tell you, oh, this one's 50-50. No, no. He didn't say that. We looked at the, whatever problem it is, because that's what the enemy's game is, is he attaches in our human brain connotation, which is weight, either negative or positive, to certain words, which is totally true because people don't look at a cold the same way they look at cancer, which to God it's exactly the same thing. It's sickness, which he already bore away and killed on the cross. But to us, it's different. Cold's not the same as cancer. It is, though. It's a sickness. It's a dis-ease. It's, it's the same. It's our mind that attaches that weight. Oh, well, this is, this is bigger. But that's, that's what God's trying to convince us of, that it's not actually bigger. That according to the promises of the Word of God, it's exactly the same. Because faith doesn't change based on the thing that you're trying to tackle. Faith is faith. You either believe it or you don't. You either trust God or you don't. It doesn't, the scale, there is no weight on the scale when it comes to, oh, well, you need $50,000 instead of $5? No, God doesn't do that. He doesn't have to call the bank up and go, hey, we got enough money. No, he's got more than enough. You're not stressing his bank account when you ask for big-ticket dollars. He don't care. It's our brain that attaches those kind of ideas to it. That's where we have to sit down with ourselves and go, look, pay attention. This is just the same as what I've dealt with before. This is no different. And then you can't just talk words. You've got to talk word. You've got to use the word of God. Because you can't fight yourself with logic. You'll lose every time. <laughs> You've got to use the Word of God. But we know, we can see this, right, guys? The, the outcomes that, that believers are achieving, they are failing on this. The church at large is failing on this. Because, frankly, we look and handle things, not, not we in here, the royal we as a large the large body of Christ. We handle things exactly the same way as the world handles things. When we run out of money, we go to the bank, we get a loan, look to the credit cards. When we're sick, we go to the doctor. And I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I'm just saying that there is a process, which we've been over. I've taught on this before. Acknowledge, your first step when you run out of money is not to go to the banker and see how good a percentage rate on a loan you can get. The first step is go ask your father what you're supposed to do. Pretend you're five years old again and you don't know how the world works and go ask your father what you're supposed to do. He knows. And if he tells you to go get a loan, don't get all huffity and uppity and think, well, I've got faith. If he told you to go get a loan, you go get a loan. But at the same point, if he tells you, hey, believe me for it, that doesn't mean you then get to go get a loan it works both ways and we've got to be smart enough and flexible enough at the same time to be able to account for both of those things you can't get so that thinking big faith man complex big faith woman complex has killed way too many believers thinking they've got big faith well I can believe God to be healed from this go to the doctor go to the doctor devil didn't make doctors He wanted people to die. He still wants people to die. He didn't invent doctors. God invented doctors because he needed people to stay alive long enough to get saved. Right? I mean, it wasn't too many, probably, I don't know the exact statistics, but it wasn't much more than 100 years ago that like a third of children were dying in childbirth. That's a lot of kids dying before they even get to the, the goal line. And what did God do? God brought medical science around and said, hey, let's fix, let's fix this. Let's fix this. People need to live. You guys got to figure this out. <laughs> and he's still got doctors today getting people better. So what? So they can keep doing the work of the gospel. He understands He doesn't have a heightened ideal of what his people are going to get to. He knows exactly where all his people are at. And he knows whole vast collections of his body are not going to believe him for healing. They're not going to do it. His only alternative then is to bring people alongside that are going to keep them alive long enough so they can get stuff done. And we as word-believing, word-preaching believers... We can't then get all high and think, well, I'm not allowed to go to the doctor. Says who? Yeah. Says your doctrine. Yeah. Says religious people. Yeah. Says people who don't understand. I've been to the doctor plenty of times. Because I go to my God and say, hey, what do I, what do, I do? Because I'm, I'm not going to think my, think I have big faith myself into the grave. I'm not going to do it. Because I know God can do anything, but I can't believe for anything. Yeah. Because I understand I've still got work to do. I've got to, I've got to be able to sit down with myself and adjust my attitude enough to see, hey, I can now believe for this. Yeah. I can't. And understand that maybe two steps beyond that, I can't. I can't. Not yet. I've still got more work to do. I haven't been to the gym enough to bench 225. So what's going to happen if you try to bench 225 and you can't do it? You're going to hurt yourself. Unless you got a spotter, you're going to hurt yourself. Because you're going to push it up off the rack, and it's going to land on your chest or your throat, and you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. If we allow our attitudes and outlooks to remain negative, we will continue to see lack of success. We know that. We've seen people live their lives like that. Where they can't, negative Nancy's, right? I'm sorry for anybody with the name Nancy, but that's, that's the way it goes. We've, or negative Nelly too. There's lots of, <laughs> there's lots of negative end names. But anyway, that, we know those people. Anything that happens is al- it's always doom and gloom, always, 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 always. Well, how is their life looking? Not not real pretty, because that drives their life. That attitude is driving their life. And if we continue down that road, if they continue down that road, if nothing's going to change. And if they're one of those ones that believes, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for this to happen, I'm waiting for that to happen before, you're going to wait forever. Because if you're not going to take control, nobody else is going to do it for you. The devil will happily grab the wheel and steer you right off the cliff. He'll happily do it. That's why Jesus' take the wheel is not a, not a, not a scripturally accurate song. Jesus is not going to take the wheel. The devil will take the wheel. And if you let him, he'll take it by using your mouth and your own words and your thoughts and your fears and everything against you and get you to speak it out your mouth. But that can be countered by just sitting down with yourself and going, okay, this didn't go. It's like an after action report in the military. This didn't go the way we wanted it to go. We need to examine everything that happened and figure out where we went wrong. Started out good, started out good, middle way looked good, then towards the end, stuff got squirrely and something happened. Well, we need to stop and figure out what happened. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't stick with it long enough. Well, why didn't I stick with it long enough? Was I spending enough time in the Word? Was I listening to the wrong things? You hang around with the wrong people long enough and have the wrong stuff go in your ear long enough, that's it, man. You're toast. This is why the Word of God talks about guarding what you let in into your heart, in your ears. You guard it. Guard it. Why? Because you just can't be willy-nilly about the stuff you listen to. You can't tell me that the degradation of our society is not attached to our media having gone that direction. You can't tell me different. You can't. I know better. I see, it in, I see it in younger generations coming up and up and up and up. Because you can literally track it through the generations. And mine was the first one that started tipping off the edge. Because the prior generation, their parents had them in the age where, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. No, it's not fine. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to spank my kids. It's going to give them a complex. No. It's going to give them over to the devil. Is what it's going to do. And I'm going to I'm going to let them do whatever they want. You know, cuz we want them to develop correctly. Well, you just doomed them to hardship and heartache. And now we're three, four generations deep and look what we've got. We've got kids that don't understand consequence because there's never been any. They don't understand the consequences of what they put in their eyes and what they put in their ears because that's all they've ever known. I mean, it, it just floors me when Christian parents are like, they hear these kids talking. They're like, I can't believe. You can't believe. Are your eyes open? You can't believe how kids are talking nowadays. Are your eyes open? Are you paying attention? You can't believe, you're not paying attention if you can't believe. Because it's obvious to anybody that's paying attention that this was the only way it was going to go. The moment that music and entertainment went mainstream where there was no kind of understanding of language or yeah, filtering any kind of physical content, that's the only direction we were going to go. The only direction, because God forbid the parents step in and stop any of it from happening. And I'm not talking to anybody in here. Y'all, y'all already done raised kids and they're gone. But I'm talking about my generation. Yeah. They just don't care. It's like, well, here you do whatever you want. Just go away. No. Right. There's too much that tap tap tap, and yeah. Yeah. they've got access to everything everything and now my kids look at me and go well every other kid has this and does this and why am I the weird one you're not the weird one you're the only normal one but they don't understand that at six and seven and eight they only see what they look at at school Well, why does this kid have a phone at 10 years old and he can go on TikTok and all this and see cussing and nakedness and just everything you could ever, anything you could think is on there. And they ask, well, why can't I have a phone? Because of that. And I'm just, just on the edge of tech savvy enough to try and protect them from some of that but there are people out there that aren't and they just hand them this thing here. go away and that's it they're gone in more ways than one well what is that a failure a critical failure at many levels of people not sitting down and going hey uh... (laughs) Should we pump the brakes on this for a minute and think about what the consequences of this are going to be down the road? And now it it takes drastic action to pull it back at this point. But we've got to take it. And I can only speak to those out online, you've got to take the action. You've got to do it. You want to, if you want to raise someone that's got a chance to live a life for God you can't just un, you just can't send them out there unprotected you need to send them out there because they need to be exposed you can't shelter your kids it's probably the worst possible thing you could do for your kids they need to know what's out there but they need to know why it's wrong and why they can't be involved in it because if you shelter them and then they go out there it's like a bomb hits them and they're like what What's happening? Well, this is how it's always been. The world's not going to correct it. It's not going to get fixed over there. So we've got to do what we can do to make sure it's right on our side. It's a vicious cycle, this attitude thing, that if we don't make the choice to pull ourselves out of it or, you know, people don't make their choice to pull themselves out of it, it's not going to stop on its own because the attitude continues and compounds into the failure, which makes the attitude worse, which compounds into more failure. It's a vicious cycle. And it takes, as a believer, stopping and saying, hey, we've got to make some adjustments to our attitude so that we can see some victories here, so that we can start to turn this ship around. And the funny thing is, is as I was studying for this, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a pilot by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I know a lot of things about a few things. <laughs> and attitude is something that's in flight, has a lot to do with flight, actually. And attitude is your position in relation to the horizon. That's what attitude means in flight. They have gauges in the, the cockpits of any, any aircraft that is a relationship of you to the horizon. You tilt your your ship this way, the gauge shows you tilted versus the horizon. You point your nose up, the horizon drops away, and you go up, and it's it's a gauge that shows you what is your relationship to the horizon. The problem comes, especially now with our technological advancement, is which horizon are you relating to? Because now it's not a single-engine Cessna anymore. The single-engine Cessna has a different horizon relation than a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket because they're not going to the same place. The Cessna's going 100 miles that way. The Falcon Heavy rocket's going 10,000 miles straight up. He don't care about the horizon down here. Don't have anything to do with him. He's going into orbit. Different horizon. (laughs) But if they relate to the same one, that rocket's gonna have a problem. In the reverse, if that Cessna thinks, so oh, I'm going into orbit, we're going to have a problem. It ain't going to make it. So they have to make sure they're relating to the right horizon. And in relation, when it comes to our attitude, we have to make sure we're relating to the right horizon. Because we were trained our whole lives before we were saved, and even now, conditioned, to relate to the world, the horizon of this world. But when we became a believer, that horizon changed. We're now a citizen of heaven. That's our horizon. That's what we are to adjust ourselves to. That's where our attitude is supposed to be related to. Your attitude is not to be related to how this world works and everything that's going on in this world. That's not what it's supposed to be our attitude is to be related to the word of God in the way that God says things are supposed to go and the way the kingdom operates and if we're going to have success in what we're doing we have to make that adjustment and not only do we have to make that adjustment we have to continually make sure we're on the right flight path which means your attitude must be adjusted at all times Maybe you need to go two degrees up. Pull that nose up two more degrees. Pull, push the nose down five degrees. Maybe you need to make a right bank, a left bank. You need to go somewhere. You need to make an attitude adjustment. <laughs> and none of us are exempt. None of us. Because we already went over. It's, I mean, it's easy. It can be in a matter of ten minutes and one conversation. Your attitude can go from... Yeah. Spot on to way off course. Yeah, <laughs> You ever riding in your car and maybe had the wrong kind of music playing and one song comes on and all of a sudden you got a problem. You done heard the wrong country song, the wrong old rock song, the wrong this song, the wrong that song, and oh dear. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Well, and you don't think that the enemy has his hand in that? Of course he does. Of course he does. Because there's plenty of times that God is, has bumped in and reminded me of something. And then another thought has followed right behind it. The enemy's not stupid. And we, we, we discredit ourselves if we treat him as stupid. Yeah. He's persistent to a fault. That's true. It is some of the things he does. You just shake your head and go, it's not going to work. But he's persistent, but he's not stupid. So we need to constantly sit down with ourselves and go, look, am I where I'm supposed to be? Is my attitude pointed in the right direction? Do I need to make an adjustment? Am I in this situation I'm in? Am I still in joy? Because faith doesn't get annoyed, I don't know if you know that. Faith doesn't get annoyed. What does faith have to be annoyed about? Faith is faith works and faith wins. So what is there to be annoyed about? Because that's that's one of the first red flags that should pop in. That first thought, that first internal sigh. You know what I'm talking about because we've all felt them. In your brain, and you know I can't do that outwardly because somebody will get the wrong idea, but in your brain you think, we've all had that internal sigh, right? That's the first red flag. That should pop up as a warning and going, hey, potential attitude adjustment needed. Because <laughs> sh- that shouldn't be anything that should enter into our mind. There should be no internal, this is, this is getting to be too much. Why? You're still winning. Unless we go too far down this road, we're still winning. Your mouth is your attitude indicator. It is your gauge to measure your attitude. The things that come out of your mouth tell you exactly where you are. Because Jesus was clear in Matthew 12, 34 and 35, you can turn over there, he was very clear that the words coming out of our mouth show our heading, and they have impact on the heading. They not only show us where we're going, they have impact on where we're going. Matthew 12, 34, it says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In verse 35, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. You can't fool your heart. Because at some point, because we've all, we've all actively suppressed things. We're like, I need to be really careful what I say here because if I say the wrong thing, bad things are going to happen. And usually it's involving other people. <laughs> but at some point, your mind drifts and you think about something else and whoop, something slips out and you're like, oh, wow, man. Cat's out of the bag. The cat was always out of the bag. You just, There's just a time factor there because you always had the problem. The problem was always there. It's just that you were, you were like, well, I'm, I'm going to hide this. You're not going to hide it. You might be able to hide it for a little while. It's not going to be hidden forever. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And at some point, you're going to be too loose in your mind to put the clamp on it, and it's going to squeak out. That's why did, just don't play games. Don't play games. You know. You know. You know when those thoughts enter your head that they're two seconds from coming out your mouth. Well, if they're in here, that means there's already a problem. So it's time to sit down and have have a powwow session with yourself. Okay, look. What's going on? What's the issue here? My attitude gauge says that there's a problem. My mouth has indicated to me that I've got an issue. But that takes honesty. That takes us being honest with ourselves, because you can lie to yourself like like the best of them. You would know it, and I know it, because I've done it to myself lots of times. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. It was just you know I was angry. That's all it was. I was angry. No, emotions don't change what's in the heart. Well, I was I was angry when I said that, so it didn't mean it. No. That it came out means that it was in there in the first place. Well, I was under a lot of stress. Doesn't matter. If it came out, it was in there to begin with. And all, all that all that is, is the enemy lying to you to get you to lie to yourself. Oh, it's okay. You were just mad. Pastor Morgan, you were angry at that guy. It's okay that you cussed him out, chewed his face off, and wanted to bury him in concrete. It's, but it's okay. You were just mad. No, attitude adjustment. When you have the thought about ramming that guy off the road on 41, attitude adjustment. Attitude adjustment. I'm not joking. It, I mean, I know we're laughing with ha funny. Attitude adjustment. Because that thought, where did that come from? From inside you. Attitude adjustment. Because you know that ain't the first time that you've thought about that. (laughs) Because that's, oh, I don't think about that very often. Very often. Uh Uh huh. (laughs) Attitude adjustment. But only if we're honest with ourselves. Right? Because it's not fun to sit down and, because you know as soon as you examine that stuff, you've got some work to do. Got some work to do. But if we want to be successful and live a successful life for God, we've got to make those adjustments. Because He needs us to succeed. And not only does he need us to succeed, he needs to de- be able to depend on us succeeding. Because he needs to be able to give us something to do and know that it's going to get done. He's got to. The, the, the kingdom has too much going on. To have waffly people out there that are, oh, I, I just can't be sure what's going to happen. Well, what is that? You're tossed to and fro. It talks about that. <laughs> A double-minded man. Unsure in all his ways. Well, why? Because he never never stopped making any attitude adjustments. So he kind of just goes wherever. Because there's no course. There's no sitting down and going. This is the direction I'm going, and I'm not deviating off of this. This that's that's it. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. I don't have time to go there, but write down write down Philippians two fourteen talks about doing everything without grumbling and complaining. Yeah. And it, but more importantly, in um, verses 14 and 15 in the Amplified, it talks about that we are to show ourselves different from the rest of the world, that they should know us in this way. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 in the Amplified. It talks about that, that by not grumbling and complaining, by keeping our mouth the way that it's supposed to go, and keeping our life the way that it's supposed to go, it's an example to the rest of the world because they don't do that. And when they run into somebody that does that, it shocks them. I've had—I can't tell you how many people because they don't believe me. You know, I, are they, oh, why don't you ever cuss? Because I don't, yeah. and they don't believe me. Oh, you're, you're And my wife has to chime in and says, "No, he don't. I do." She'll say, "I do. He don't." And I'm not tooting my own horn on that. We're called to be that way because most of the time, cussing has to do with what? Some serious attitude adjustment that needs to be done because it's not usually done in jest. It's usually done with anger and rage and fury and other things that require attitude that <laughs> that is an indicator of some work that needs to be done and we are called to live a life as not i mean you shouldn't be trying to show off that's not the point cuz Jesus talks about that too where we're not supposed to toot our own horn in the public places and show out but just you living the way God wants you to live is it's a city as a city showing light on a hill that's what it is because it's, it's a beacon. It's like, I I've never seen anybody like you before. Well, number one, that's a sad testament to the, the state of the body of Christ because there should be lots of us walking around, right? I shouldn't be the only one you're seeing. But on the other side of that, that means it's working. <laughs> that means God's plan works, which shouldn't have surprised anybody, but <laughs> that's the way that it goes. But it only works if we sit down with ourselves And make sure that we're adjusting the way that we need to. And we're going the direction God wants us to go. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the anointing on your word. That the seed will go down on the inside of us and we'll water it and we'll let it grow. And produce fruit in our lives, Father God. And and we ask for your help right now as a body. that, That you show us the areas where we need to make adjustments, Father. Because we want... We want to be better vessels for you, that we want to be who you want us to be so that we can do what you want us to do. And we thank you for it today in Jesus name. Amen. And if you're giving this morning, you can grab an envelope on the seat backs uh, or raise your hand and uh, the ushers will get you one. Um, If you join us on live stream, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, Appreciate you joining us. If you'd like to give into the ministry, you can do so at newlifefamilyworship.net and use the giving link. Um, we appreciate that. And always, if you all have praise reports or prayer requests or anything like that, please reach out to us on social media. Shoot us an email. You can link all that stuff on the website, and we'd be happy to hear from you or, or reach out to you any way that we can. We thank you for it, and we'll see you in, uh, in about an, half an hour or so.